You're in the middle of a dinner, about to go to a special function where you're the guest speaker. You, you spill tomato sauce all down the front of your shirt. You have two choices. You can either put on another shirt if you have one, or you can just wear a jacket to cover up the stain. The blood of bulls and goats that were such a prominent feature in the Old Testament could never do anything to the stain of sin. They, they, that was just, as a matter of fact, you read the word atonement in the Old Testament, and it comes from the Hebrew word meaning to cover. It's a covering. It's just a, to cover up the situation. It never dealt with the stain. Uh, but the blood of Jesus cleanses the stain of sin completely, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've been discussing the covenants in Scripture, at least the covenants that are called directly covenants in Scripture, so six of them, and today we're finishing with the new covenant, and so we'll be uh, talking about that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, once again, we pray, uh, as I do every time, I just pray for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding as we approach the, the Scripture. Without your Holy Spirit directing us, we uh, can't even understand what it is we read, but uh, you've given us the Word, and you've given us the Holy Spirit to direct us. So we pray again for knowledge, and understanding, and wisdom as we approach the Word. Just uh, speak to us through the Word today. Okay, I'm going to read the verses about the New Covenant that are in the New Testament. Surprise. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. I uh, copied them onto this paper because it's easier for me to read them. Uh, so this is Hebrews 8, 1 through 13. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. 
Uh, we tend to, I think, as believers, when we think of the New Covenant, we tend to think of the New Testament and all, all of that and, and, and tend to think that the covenant was, was made for all believers, which it was, but originally the covenant was made with Israel. And the verses 8 through 12 here are quotes from the Old Testament. They're quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, where God first spoke to the Israelites and said, uh, if you see verse 8 here and verse 31 in Jeremiah 31, it says the covenant is made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So the, the, the new covenant was originally made with Israel. Um, now, the question then, well, there's a couple of questions to be asked then. Uh, the first one, well, the first one that I'm going to ask is not the first one necessarily, but the first one I'm going to ask is, well, what happened? Uh, and we see as we read scriptures in the New Testament that Israel rejected God and rejected the covenant. And we see the progression of this in Romans uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Romans is a very, uh, uh, it's a book of doctrine, it's a book of doctrine of the gospel. You get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, and it, it uh, refers back to, basically, I believe, Paul dealing with the question of, of what about Israel? Is Israel, is, is now everything lost for Israel because they rejected God? And he's dealing in those chapters with the answer to that question, and uh, there, there certainly is dispute in Christianity what the answer to that question actually is. We'll talk about that a little bit, but we see the uh, progression through Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're not going to read all those verses, but a few scriptures out of that. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 22 through 27 says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, Gentiles, I will call them my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Romans chapter 9, kind of a, a tough chapter sometimes to deal with. It speaks clearly of the sovereignty of God and choosing mercy on those uh, whom he will have mercy. And uh, it speaks clearly here of both the Jew, the remnant, he speaks of here, not all Jews are saved, but the remnant is saved, and the Gentile. If we look forward into Romans chapter 10, then the first few verses in Romans 10, 1 to 3, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, meaning Israel, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So we begin to see uh, verses here where he's speaking of Israel and, and how uh, 
initially as a nation, not every single individual, but generally as a nation, they rejected God. And they, uh, in, and we have talked in the past about the thought among Israel was that we are God's chosen people, therefore we're in. Uh, because we're Israel, we're in. And uh, as the new covenant came along, the plan all along was to open up salvation to all men, and it was to come through Israel. Uh, certainly Israel was God's chosen people, but it was through them, and obviously through the descendants of Judah, Jesus came to uh, to actually be the sacrifice on the cross, that, that salvation would be provided to all men. And that was not something initially that the Jews, or even today, generally, that Jews accept. Uh, their thought, again, was, as I said, we're Jews, we're in. If you're not a Jew, you're not in. That was what they believed at that time in general. And so, the, and their zeal that they had for God, as uh, Paul says here in Romans, is that uh, they were attempting to establish their own righteousness. And of course, as we talk about here time and time again uh, during our remembrance service, we have nothing to offer. Uh, our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing good in the flesh. We have nothing to offer God um, as, as people, nor did the Jews as people have anything to offer God. So they just didn't get it. They didn't get uh, or understand the gospel of God through Christ. The, the gospel speaks of, and if you, well, we're not going to read Romans 4, but Romans 4 talks about imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness meaning it's not the righteousness of us, of that we have, it's the righteousness that's provided through the blood of Christ so that when God looks at us, uh, those that are true believers in Christ, he sees us as righteous people, but only through the blood of Christ, not through any righteousness of our own. So, as I said, Israel in general is trying to work their way to heaven, and so uh, in that they had rejected God. Uh, Romans 10, 8-13, very familiar verses, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, whoever, meaning Jew or, or Gentile. And so again, the covenant was initially made with Israel, but, uh, well, let's read on a little bit here. Uh, these verses, the verses I just read speak of the righteousness obtained by faith available to all men, Jew and Gentile. And then Romans 9, 10, 19-21 say, But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel... He says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So again, as we look through these verses, we see that Israel was a rebellious people. They were disobedient and obstinate people. And then as we, uh, and then 
through that, God opened up salvation to the Gentiles. Uh, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. I've got many verses. I'm only going to read a couple. Genesis 22:18 says, And in your seed, this is speaking to Abraham, as part of the promise that God made to Abraham, And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And it wasn't completely understood what that meant then when the promise was made. But down through the descendants of Abraham, Jesus was going to come. And Jesus was going to go to the cross and die on the cross and provide salvation to all men. So all the nations of the earth shall be blessed from uh, because you have obeyed my voice. Um, if, you, uh, if you're taking notes or care, uh, there's Psalm 22, 27, Psalm 86, 9, Isaiah 9, 2, Isaiah 49, 6, Isaiah 60, verse 3. And if you were writing them down and you got all those down, I'm really impressed because I was going pretty fast. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Okay, and also Hosea chapter 2, 23. Those are some of the verses in the Old Testament that look forward to salvation being open to all men. So, it was there in the scriptures if, if the uh, Jews had had a heart to seek after the truth, they should have known. I mean, I, I know sometimes we say, oh, those Jews, they should have known. Um, and, you know, we're not necessarily all uh, much better than the Jews or necessarily would we have been had we been there. But the truth is, <coughs> the truth is that the truth was there. It was in the scripture. And uh, again, those that seek the Lord will find him. God reveals himself to those that are truly seeking. So uh, the, the Jews had a problem with hard hearts, being an obstinate and disobedient people. And then in Romans uh, chapter 11, again, verses that speak about the salvation being open to the Gentiles and actually being fulfilled. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So again, the uh, salvation was provided to all men. Even though the new covenant was initially made with Israel, uh, the plan was for salvation to be open to all men. And another question then to be asked and is, is asked and is disputed among Christianity is, is the new covenant still for Israel? Um, we aren't going to have time to go through. This would probably be a good uh, thing to uh, maybe look into and have a lesson on someday. And I know we've talked about it briefly. It comes up uh, periodically as we talk about it. 
But there's certainly disagreement on this point. Uh, those of that teach a Reformed theology teach that the provisions of the New Covenant are fulfilled in the church and not fulfilled in Israel. Um, and then others, uh, dispensationalists and others, teach that the parts of the New Covenant are fulfilled now or will be fulfilled uh, then, and then parts are to be fulfilled later uh, in Israel, pointing toward the millennium. And this isn't so weird. I mean, there are other covenants. The Abrahamic covenant, their promises were made to Abraham for land and seed and blessing. And we can see that those were fulfilled over time. Uh, the, the blessing to all nations that were, that were promised uh, was not fulfilled until Christ came many years later. And even the Davidic covenant, we talked about the, the promise of a, the, uh, David having someone to reign on the throne forever was going to be fulfilled in Christ as he reigned in his kingdom forever. And, uh, and part of the promise to David was talked about the land promise that was made to Abraham. So, I mean, there's overlap in these covenants. And uh, so parts were fulfilled then and parts will were fulfilled later. And so it's not really out of the question to suggest that perhaps the new covenant would be the same way, whether we look to the future that, that for Israel and the millennial kingdom and some of the things that we see, that Israel will be restored and be part of the new covenant. Now, as I say that, any man or woman who uh, believes in Christ and professes Christ as their Savior will be saved. Uh, but... As a nation, uh, the question is, is, is Israel, have they lost out completely? And now every, all of the promises that were made to them are being fulfilled in the church or not? Um, I'm going to read one set of verses. This is kind of long, but there are many verses in the Old Testament and the New that speak about Israel being restored. And um, if you're of the theology that says that Israel is done because they rejected God and no longer is part, part of the promise, you have to, when you look at many of these verses, you have to tend to kind of allegorize them and say, well, this, although it seems to be clearly talking about Israel, uh, it's not talking about Israel because they have lost out. Um, it seems that the, the, at least to me and many others, it seems like the best way is to Take the scriptures as literally as you can and believe that when it's speaking of Israel, it's, surprise, speaking of Israel. Um, and so this is in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 22. He says, I'll try to read this fast. Um, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Verse 24, Ezekiel 36. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. 
Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste, desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So will the waste cities be filled with the flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That's Ezekiel 36, 22 through 38. And uh, seems to be pointing to the fact that God, and this among many other scriptures, I could read many other ones, talk about God is will restore Israel. Uh, read through Isaiah, there are many places, Isaiah, Jeremiah, a lot of places. And the, uh, interesting guy, I guess. Um, me, me, I mean. Uh, in the times of the Gentiles, now, when Israel, is, as a, as a, in general, has rejected God, salvation has been opened to the Gentiles. But again, there is a time in the future that we look forward to seeing Israel restored. So, the, the new covenant was initially made with Israel. Is, Israel still belongs as part of that new covenant, and uh, they didn't lose the promises. And if you look through the uh, the scriptures that we read at the beginning, uh, I, I won't do it right now, but if you look through the sections where the new covenant is actually stated in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and, and repeated in Hebrews chapter 8, and see how many times God says, I will. I counted them. I think there's seven times in there. God says, I will. And, and notice in these verses in Ezekiel, God says, I'm not doing this because of you. I am doing this for the sake of my holy name. And God is the one who... So, so these are the unconditional parts of the covenant that God has promised to Israel and then opened up to, to all men um, at this time. And so it uh, seems to me pretty clear that uh, Israel is still part of the new covenant will be, and will be restored at a later time. And again, we don't have time to go over all of that. Uh, but Okay, what were the promises that were made in the new covenant? The first one, uh, God said that his law will be written in the heart of men. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. The law was no longer going to be an external written law uh, carved on stone, but it was going to be written, in quotes, written on the hearts of those who are under the new covenant. Uh, those who are under the new covenant will want to obey, not out of fear of punishment, but because of love for God. Uh, the, in, under, he, he says the covenant is not going to be like the one that I made with your fathers. He's pointing back to the law, the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant, where 
that was clearly conditional covenant. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Uh, and that law was written on stone. And, well, the Ten Commandments were written on stone. And then as you follow through all of the law, somebody counted them and came up with 600 and some odd laws that God gave Israel to follow. And on Wednesday, we're reading through Leviticus and uh, just, well, I think it was said again Wednesday night, thank God we're living under the new covenant. It's, uh, it's a very oppressive series of laws that they lived under then. So the laws were going to now be written on the heart. This implies that those who are under the new covenant will have a changed heart. Uh, Jesus said the following in Luke 6.45. He says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So uh, when, when God speaks of the laws being written on the heart, he's talking about those under the new covenant having a new heart. And, uh, and, and he says that it is out of the heart the mouth speaks. Uh, so while I can't necessarily judge every person that walks in front of me as whether they're truly a believer or not, can get a pretty good indication if all that you ever hear coming out of someone's mouth is anti-God stuff. You sort of get the idea that that heart is filled with not God. Um, and in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, which is the same, uh, recording the same event, the Pharisees complain that Jesus' disciples eat with unwashed hands. And Jesus tells them, he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And he says to them in Matthew 15, verses 17 through 20, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So they were kind of stuck in the, uh, the Old Testament law and the, the washing of the hands. And, and again, there, Jesus was coming to establish a new covenant, and many of the things he said were very, um, uh, very different. Hard for the Jews to accept, but I, we go back, I go back to the fact that those who are truly seeking God Will um, God will reveal himself to them. So the laws are going to be written on the heart. The purpose of the Mosaic Covenant, um, and I've got a bunch of verses here, but I, for the sake of time, I'll only read just a little bit. In Galatians chapter 3, if you read most of Galatians 3, but I'll point just specifically to the 3.24, it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So the Old Testament law, which was written on stone, was given, and no man can keep that law. The purpose of that law was to, to bring men and women, to bring us all to the point of being able to say, the, the perfect law of God we cannot keep in our flesh. And the only and, and to bring us to a point that to help us understand what sinners, therefore, we truly are. So that was the law that was written on stone. 
a new covenant was going to come along and then the law was going to be written on the hearts of men. Um, okay, I think I just... part um, The person that chooses to obtain, to, 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 to try to gain heaven by following the law will be cursed because no one can keep the whole law. Uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 3.12. I was going to read those, but again, for the sake of time, they clearly tell us that all men have uh, fallen short of God's glory. And so that's the first promise that was made, is that the law would no longer be written on stone, but that the law that men were to follow would be in their hearts. And they would have a, then a new heart and have a desire to follow that law. Uh, the second promise that he made in there was that he will be their God and they will be his people. And Jeremiah 31, 33 says those I will be their God and they shall be my people. True new covenant believers will be children of God. I know that uh, many, you'll hear this in the word. They'll say, well, we're all children of God. Well, that's not true. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. So those who are true believers, those who received him, to them he gave the power to be the children of God, and he will be their God, and they will be his people. And uh, William MacDonald said this about that, uh, that promise. He said, when, when God speaks of being their God and them being his people, this speaks of nearness. The Old Testament told man to stand at a distance. Grace tells man to come near. It also speaks of an unbroken relationship and unconditional security. Nothing will ever interrupt this blood-bought tie. So when the promise was made that God would be there, be our God and we would be his people, that we can now be near to him. Uh, when the law was given, when you read in Exodus 19, when the law was given on the mountain and there were thundering and lightning and God said, anyone who comes near to the mountain or touches it shall die, that was what the old covenant was. It was a, it was a matter of standing off and standing at a distance. Um, the new covenant now speaks of nearness. The third promise was everyone will have a chance to know him. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Certainly, all will have an opportunity to know God. Some people will reject that knowledge, but all will have an opportunity to know God. Uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks of the righteous branch, referring to Christ coming, and then as you're reading through that, it appears to change midstream to be looking to the future and speaking of the millennium. It says, uh, these are in verses 6 through 9 in Isaiah 11, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So 
Again, that's looking to the future and speaking of the knowledge of God. Um, but certainly, we can know God now. The New Testament speaks of the importance of knowing God. Uh, in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is speaking of the importance of knowing God, speaking about this new covenant where everyone now, it's not a clergy thing only, this is true for all men, to have the, all, all people, to have the opportunity to know God. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from the which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So again, he speaks about the importance of knowing God. The, uh, an important thing under the new covenant is that we all have the opportunity to know God. And then the uh, last promise that was made was sins will be forgiven. Jeremiah 31, 34, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Uh, in the middle of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, speaking of the old covenant, it's as every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. And if, if you think of that, think of every sin of ours receiving a just penalty. Well, we all would have been gone a long time ago. Uh, we wouldn't be standing here today. Uh, William MacDonald says, Furthermore, the law could not deal effectively with sins. It provided for the atonement of sins, but not for their removal. As I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew word for atonement comes from the verb meaning to cover. The sacrifices prescribed in the law made a man ceremonially clean. That is, they qualified him to engage in the religious life of the nation. But this ritual cleansing was external. It did not touch a man's inward life, and it did not provide moral cleansing or give him a clear conscience. So the uh, and we see that in, in Hebrews. If you read throughout Hebrews, it talks about the blood of bulls and goats did not wash away sin. It was only the blood of Christ when he came that washed away sin. And then one verse that refers to this, I'll read in Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 32. It says, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And I might add, we all will too. After we have served God's purpose on this earth, we will all die. 
um, and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So again, the, the, uh, the last promise here made as part of the new covenant was the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and Hebrews 9.22, again, a familiar verse that we all have heard. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So again, the, the four promises that were made in the new covenant that God made with Israel and then extended to Gentiles, he was going to write his law in our hearts. He promised to, to be our God and we would be his people. Um, and then we would all have a chance to know him from the least to the greatest. We didn't have to depend on others to, uh, to know God. And then lastly, the, very importantly, the forgiveness of sins. These were the promises that were made in the new covenant. So we have talked about the, again, I identified six covenants. Some identify up to nine or more covenants that uh, God made. But these were specifically the covenants that the Bible called covenants. Uh, we talked about the covenant God made with Noah. Um, again, a completely 100% unconditional covenant that God made with Noah and all his descendants, meaning humans, and made with the animals and he made with the earth. It says all of those things, that, that he would never again destroy the earth by a flood. Uh, we spoke of the Abrahamic covenant and the promise that God made to Abraham of land and seed uh, for the Jews, and then through them, through the descendants of Abraham, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. Uh, we spoke of the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of law that we've been talking about here, where God wrote his laws uh, in stone, and then all the laws were given that man, uh, that it was, it was written down. It was a way to show the people how they needed to relate to a holy God. This is uh, how how their relationship with God should be. And they were to, uh, it was a conditional covenant in, oh, excuse me, the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about how parts of the covenant, uh, there were conditions that were put on the Abrahamic covenant and individuals could lose out on the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant if they did not fulfill the requirements that were put there. Um, uh, circumcision, and then obviously staying away from idols and, serving God, uh, but the promises that were made to the nation of Israel were unconditional. They were, again, a series of I wills that God made to Abraham that he said he was going to do, he was going to establish those. So they're, uh, they were primarily unconditional, although there were certain conditions that might cause individuals to lose out on the blessings of the covenant. Mosaic covenant, uh, as I said, was a conditional covenant. Um, obedience led to blessing, disobedience led to curse. Uh, we spoke of the high priestly covenant. That was the covenant that God made with Phineas, saying that they would, that family would always have someone there to, to serve God. And, and I believe, and others believe that Ezekiel points to the temple. The temple in Ezekiel speaks of a temple that will exist in the, in the millennium. And that there will actually be sacrifices being done there, not not sacrifices like the Old Testament that were providing a covering for sin, 
but sacrifice is being done as a remembrance of what Christ had done. And it speaks about the descendants of Zadok, who was a descendant of Phineas, who was a descendant of Aaron. Um, and that promise was made that they would, uh, throughout the existence of the earth, they would have people that would be there to serve God. And, and I believe that they will be actually serving God um, in, in, a, in a priestly function in the millennium. And then we spoke of the Davidic covenant, where God, again, repeated promises to David about the land and about blessing. He, he told David he was going to make his name great. Uh, he made many promises. But more, most importantly, that there would be always be someone on the throne of David looking forward again to Christ, reigning as a descendant of David on his, his throne throughout eternity. So there's a lot of overlap in these covenants. Um, and then finally, the new covenant, that God made with Israel, but again, um, when they rejected God, it was opened up to all men, which was the plan from the foundation of, before the foundation of the world that God that, that salvation would come through all men um, through through Christ and through the Jews as God's chosen people. Okay, so they all um, okay. So th that's where I'm going to end on the discussion on the covenants. Uh, wrap up our discussion.